Today on the show, we're revisiting the horrific night of the attack on Arakeen and the horrific storytelling of Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson. <laughs> Buckle up, folks. It's going to get bloody. <laughs> yeah. If you were wondering how we were going to handle talking about <laughs> Brian and Kevin moving forward, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just put my gloves on. <laughs> Velcro, Velcro gloves. Very good. Yeah. 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 They're my biker. They're fingerless, you know? Oh, nice. Cool like that. I love my palms being sweaty and my (laughs) fingertips cold. It's the best. Welcome to Gam Jabbar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name is Leo. And my name's Abu. Oh, and today on the oh. show, we're in the comic book store. We see a couple of yes. one-off comics, and we're just going to flip Hello. through them. And oh, no, the writing's terrible. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> oh, uh, no. Actually, maybe we won't buy them. I'm just going to put this back quietly and not take it home. <laughs> we are talking about Dune comic books. Whoa. That's right. That's right. But specifically, not the film adaptation one, not the House of Trades or House Arkanen ones. Right. We're going to be talking about the one-off issues, Blood of the Sardaukar, uh-huh. and A Whisper of Caladan Seas. Fun, fun. We've already covered House of Trades, actually. We did a deep dive of the 12 issues. <sighs> and today we're going to be giving these two one-issue comics, these sort of single-issue comics, a similar deep dive treatment right yeah but before we do that quick spoiler warning yes both of these comics take place during an event in the first dune book so today's episode will likely contain spoilers for the first book to be absolutely safe we recommend you've at least read dune yeah good thing it's a good book (laughs) finally we have a huge shout out as always to our quisats hatterack level patron case Aiken. Oh. Oh, Case. Listen, buddy. Uh-huh. I would probably have like hire a ghostwriter to handle your story. Yeah. But good heavens, I would absolutely get Jakob Rebelka right. to illustrate your comic. Hell yeah. That art. Oh, that art. You deserve the best art, Case. And the best art is Jakob. It is indeed. Thank you so much for your support. <laughs> yeah. And of course, our gratitude extends to all of our patrons and to all of our listeners who tune in every single week and listen to every single episode. We could not and probably would not do this without you. So thank you. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> <laughs> this is a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> well, with housekeeping out of the way, I see shout out Napes is grinning contentedly mm. in the corner mm. let's talk about what we're gonna this episode is gonna look like right and the game plan today is we're gonna start by summarizing blood of the sardaukar the kind of events that the comic covers right we're gonna share our thoughts along the way getting nerdy about the lore oh the we love to do we can't help it mm-hmm. then we're gonna do the same thing for a whisper of caledon seas right 
And then finally, we'll wrap up by sharing our thoughts on the future of Dune comics, maybe what stories we'd like to see, that sort of thing. Right. Basically just tying it all up in a nice little bow. Sounds like a plan. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. So don't go anywhere. When we're back, we've got blood of the Sardaukar on our hands. (laughs) Don't go anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Can really ASMR on this podcast lately. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome back, folks. Let's begin today with our first single issue comic called Blood of the Sardaukar. Yes. So just a bit of background. This comic book was written by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson and was illustrated by Adam Gorham. And it was produced by the indie publisher Boom Studios, which has produced, I think, all of the Dune comic books thus far. I think so, yeah. So the comic book itself actually came out in 2021, but it adapts an original short story that Brian and Kevin wrote of the same name back in 2019. And the original short story was actually first released in a fantasy anthology collection, which was called Unfettered 3. And then that short story was later reprinted in the Dune short story collection called Sands of Dune. Right. In 2022. Right. Yeah. So there are a couple of different places where you can find Blood of the Sardaukar, either in comic form or in short story form. Yeah. So Blood of the Sardaukar opens on the night of the Harkonnen attack on Arakeen on House Atreides from the perspective of the Sardaukar soldiers. Cool. So, you know, we're watching Villeneuve's adaptation. Those ships are coming in. The bombs are dropping. We are on those ships looking down on Arakeen. Right. Already kind of a cool concept. Digging it. Yeah. And specifically, we're following Colonel Bashar Japati Kolona. Mm-hmm. And his squad is basically assaulting Arakeen Palace, specifically dressed as Harkonnen soldiers. So right, right. his squad are those disguised Sardaukar in mm-hmm. Arakeen attacking. And we learn very early on through some heavy-handed exposition that the colonel <laughs> is no stranger to bloodshed. I'm no oh. stranger to bloodshed. <laughs> but he directs his squad to ignore civilians. Ignore civilians. And focus on the Atreides residents. We should probably focus on the Atreides residents. Yeah. Word, I can't believe you're reading all of these quotes word for word. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Feels like it, doesn't it? <laughs> and he also reminds them that the Duke in particular is the objective. Right. He's to be captured and that he's been given, that Japati has been given direct orders from Emperor Shaddam Karino IV. Wow. To make sure that the Duke dies, quote, cleanly and without torture, end quote. Okay. Which tracks. That tracks. Yeah. That's part of why the Sardaukar are like lingering to oversee how the Baron treats his political captive. Right. It's fine. Just kill him cleanly. That's all I need. There's no bad blood. It's just. Yeah. yeah, It's just business. It's just politics. So, yeah. So far, tracking. Yep. Now, as we'll come to see throughout both of the comics we're discussing today, Brian and Kevin love a flashback. And so we get our first (laughs) flashback here in Blood of the Sardaukar. We go back to the planet Voorhees, home of House Kelowna, 39 long years ago. 
Yeah. And here's where we learn that Chapati was the middle son of a noble family of House Kelowna, and he lived a cushioned and very easy life. Yeah. Yeah. Until the Fire Nation. Uh, <gasps> I mean, until... <laughs> <laughs> not the until, fire nation not the oh, fire no. nation no uh, until <laughs> his father who was like a senator or whatever whatever in the Lancerod, lost a debate against paulus it's like very fuzzy in this yeah. comic what actually happened in this debate but yeah Japati's father became a target and so as the story goes allegedly atreides troops in retaliation attacked House Kelowna and murdered Japati's mom and eldest brother in a night raid. Right. But as it turns out, as we quickly learn, and as Japati learned later in life, those Atreides soldiers that attacked his home and killed his mother and eldest brother were Sardaukar in disguise. Mm. The Carino household is a one-trick pony, y'all. <laughs> they got yeah. one trick. And they use it over and <laughs> all the over fucking time and over. And every time they stress, no one can discover this, even <laughs> though we're doing this in collaboration with multiple great houses. Right. No right. one will ever can ever discover that we're involved. Yeah. In yeah, every yeah. battle. <laughs> uh huh. I'll also quick reminder: Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson have proposed that Paulus is the father of Leto Atreides. Right. We've talked about Minotaurus Atreides as the dune encyclopedia father uh i personally think minotaurus is a way cooler name than just paul with an us at the end of it paulus right. is so fucking lazy come on guys so lazy but whatever so yes this is the father of leto Atreides Same guy. Yeah. as the one who is in charge and it's also worth noting i actually kind of missed this the first time i was glancing through this comic house atreides is taking over planet borges even though these are sardaukar dressed as atreidian men yeah. House Atreides does then take over planet Borges. So right. Right. this is very similar where Harkonnen and Carino are working together. And in, in the case of Harkonnen and Carino, it's very clear that they're both out for colluding. a thing. They're colluding kind of intentionally. We're not sure yet why House Atreides wants planet Borges. That is addressed later. Just wanted to make that clear. Right. Right. And I also make that clear because... We then see a kind of montage of the remaining members of House Kelowna beginning this kind of guerrilla war against the invading, occupying Atreides forces. Right, right. Where, you know, they're just trying their best to get rid of the invaders. Now, unfortunately, their little resistance wasn't enough. Oh, no. I know. Chapati's father and his loyal rebels are all wiped out mm. or killed. Tough luck. Chapati beheaded, in fact, in one of the panels. Chapati's father beheaded. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, Chapati's yeah. father, right, beheaded in one yeah. of the panels. Tough look. Yeah, not subtle. No. Now, the Sardaukar right. decided to spare Chapati and his surviving brothers yeah. since they were young enough, apparently, to be recruited into the Sardaukar training program. They okay. are like young enough kids that you've got courage, you have the basest talent for fighting yep. let's get you into the sardaukar training program or you can die like a dog here yep. yep and that begins a new sort of little montage and has you know they're in prison they're participating right. in like fights and mock battles and then there's like a thing where they get uh paired up and sent out into the wilderness yep one of japati's brothers dies 
in the earlier stages. And then he and his brother are out in the wilderness transformed and powerful now mm. until his brother is bitten by a lizard and dies. Oh no. Oh, what a way no. to go. Lizard death. Uh, <laughs> so long story short, Japati survives the harshness of the Sardaukar training program on Seleucus Secundus and graduates the Sardaukar boot camp as a Sardaukar soldier. And his new personality right. is his outfit. He's just like a Dairy Queen employee. Someone who yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He, he's been he's completed the brainwashing. He loves his soft serve more than anything. He's drinking that Kool Aid, that Sardaukar Kool Aid. Yeah, indeed. And as he loves to remind us, these are his brothers now. <laughs> yeah, and the Sardaukar are his family now. It feels like a very trauma response to like I lost my whole family. Yeah, but you know, again, this is <laughs> there's no nuance here, so it does never actually explores that. So. Returning from our flashback, we are once again on the burning battlefield of Arakeen, and I found this sequence of panels absolutely hilarious, because Jopati straight up lets slip that he's not Harkonnen, <laughs> yeah. while tussling with the Atreides captain here. Yeah. So the captain yells, quote, Harkonnen scum, end quote. Mm, classic. To which Jopati very helpfully responds, quote, you don't even know who you're fighting. End quote. Yeah. Classic hitman move. <laughs> I'm not even the fucking janitor. <laughs> you won't believe who I actually am. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Real fucking professional, Japati. Yeah. So, shockingly, in this face-off, the Atreides captain does manage to swipe at Japati's shoulder and draw some blood, which is impressive and, once again, shows us just how well trained the Atreides are by Gurney Halleck and Duggan Idaho and the Fear right. Hawat, that they're able to even face off against a Sardaukar and hold their own. Yeah. But alas, very few people actually face a Sardaukar and live to tell the tale. And this random Atreides captain is certainly not one of those people. And Japati does manage to murk him by the end of the end of the fight there. Indeed. Now, if you thought that one flashback was enough, no, no, you idiot. We've got a bunch more. <laughs> yeah, if you were to like guess how many flashbacks are in each of these literal short stories, you would guess too low. It's there's oh, so yep. many. Yep. So we have a new flashback, and this time we're seeing Japati's career as he sort of evolved and kind of rose through the ranks of the Sardaukar organization, right? And Eventually, he ends up with a special assignment on Kaiten, serving at the emperor's side. So this is wow. he's like literally cream of the crop, you know, imperial guard. Yeah. I will point out that we are told he had missions on a variety of planets, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Bella Tagus, the cave cities of Ix, and, quote, the steaming jungles on Ikaz, end quote. Okay. Is Brian just naming planets he knows? He's like, they were deployed to, uh, uh fuck, of uh, Gamont and, uh, <laughs> oh, Poritran and, uh, Tupil. And we're like, wait, <laughs> they can't be deployed to Tupil. No, <laughs> yeah. not the sanctuary hidden planet, you dumbass. <laughs> well, whatever the case, throughout these missions, Japati eventually ends up at the Emperor's side as part of his, like, Imperial Guard. Mm-hmm. 
Now, because of his proximity to the emperor, Chapati hears a lot of shit that he probably shouldn't. And he points <laughs> out his job is to not hear what's being said right next to him. Right, right. And this new world of like politics and intrigue, people trading secrets and talking about who they need to have killed and all these yeah. different, you know, hidden levers of the galaxy that they're pulling. Right. It's weird and it's dangerous for Japati, who, although he has survived some of the literal deadliest battlefields in the Imperium, mm -hmm. is now being tested in a new way. Yeah. And he says, quote, each day had its own kind of drama and tension end quote same honestly <laughs> yeah same. <laughs> that's how i choose to live my life but <laughs> every day new drama tension yeah <laughs> i have a randomizer i go what kind of drama today and then i go out and make that drama because yeah. if you're yeah. not on that grind 24 7 you can never <laughs> expect to be a good day trader or whatever <laughs> otherwise you're not a high value male you know what i'm talking about that's right that's right that's right <laughs> What if we just hard pivoted to like <laughs> men's rights and like. <laughs> Holy shit. That would certainly be a pivot. <laughs> would we lose some listeners? Maybe. Yeah. Would we gain a lot more? A lot of high value listeners. Yeah. <laughs> high value listeners ready to let go of their cash for our dumb products. Yes. We have a vitamin supplement we're going to be selling soon. <laughs> Straight from ECAS. <laughs> Straight from ECAS. Now, one example of one of these daily drama and tension moments is right. the day that a young Duke Leto Atreides. Hello. Whoa. That's not Paulus or Minotaurus. That's a new Duke. What the heck? <laughs> he shows up and Jopati nearly attacks him, which yeah. is fucking wild. He's like, he's like triggered. He like reaches for his kinjal. Like he's like yeah. reaching for yeah. his, uh, his sword handle. Until Leto Atreides, goody two shoes that he is, is like, hey, Emperor Shaddam, I discovered that really scandalous stuff. Your father, Elrude, pressured my father into taking Borges, and I don't want it. I don't want to keep Borges because we got it through underhanded dealings. I don't want it. Yeah. And uh, Shaddam is like, that's so fucking weird. No one's ever given up a whole planet. Like, why are you giving up resources? Yeah. And Leto's like, House Atreides without honor is like, I think he says, like a spacing guild ship without a navigator. Right. It was kind of fun. So Japati can't believe his ears. Yeah. Because here Leto is saying, oh, we were fucked up for doing that. I'd like to give this planet back and return it to any of the remaining surviving people of that house if possible right mm -hmm. and he even like brought receipts too and he already like mentioned it to the lance rat he like told the lance rat hey this is what happened and this is why i'm giving it back and because he did that first before talking to shaddam shaddam's basically backed into a corner and has to be mm -hmm. like okay mm -hmm. it's super weird but i guess i guess you're allowed to and you might be wondering Wow, dang. So Paulus was like pressured into doing this thing. Yeah, wow. That's kind of interesting. What the fuck? Like, why? I, I hope we're told more about that. Right? We're I'm not. I'm dying to... Oh. <laughs> I hope you were saying, <laughs> I'm dying to not ever find out because we move the fuck on immediately. <laughs> yeah. There's exactly one panel where a young Duke Leto blabbers some like extremely vague not even outlining the story shit where he's just like, 
oh, well, Elrude the Ninth had uh, plotted to TKTK something something, and then my father was roped into, and, and you know how it is, and then we move on. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. I've learned nothing about Elrude's scheme or why Paulus would get roped into this nonsense. Like, the Atreides are honorable. Maybe Paulus was a bit more hardcore than Leto turned out to be, but like, honor was still at, at the core of his being. And so it doesn't make sense for why the Atreides would move in on Borges like this, on planet Borges, and it's never explained why they do either. So right. just just plot reasons and just believe us, it happened, and let's let's move on. I do wonder if maybe that's covered in some of Brian's other books, but the hallmark of a not great short story is if you are required to read other whole stories to understand it. Right. And there were definitely moments in this one like, oh, this doesn't quite make sense and maybe if i read a thousand pages of a different book this would make more sense but yeah yeah exactly i mean like i'm all for an extended universe but the story you're telling me right now in this very moment also has to make sense please <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah anyway let's wrap up this comic we return to arakeen during the battle and jopati is contending with his mixed feelings about all of this right he respects the Atreides after what Duke Leto has done by giving Borges back. But here he is eliminating the Atreides and ostensibly killing Duke Leto. But he's a Sardaukar through and through. No matter how he feels about it, he's a professional. And so he and his squad get the job done. They attack the palace. They win the day. The Atreides are defeated. Right. The Sardaukar are professionals. They do their job and then they you know, they call it a day. The loose cannon Harkonnen are raging through the palace, pillaging, stealing whatever they want. This pisses Jopati off because clearly he's like a very uh, by the books kind of guy. Yeah. And that, and it's while all of this is happening that Jopati is walking around the palace and he notices alone, a trade soldier still out there fighting. Yeah. Out on the landing pad below. Yeah. And turns out, it's our guy, Duncan Idaho. Duncan motherfucking Idaho. Duncan mother. And Jopati had been hoping Idaho. to face him. He was like, oh, one of the legendary fighters. He, I think he mentions early, he's like, I hoped to fight yeah. Gurney or Duncan, one of these guys who's known. Right. Now, Jopati could not know that Duncan single-handedly kills 18 Sardaukar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he sees this lone figure. And he goes, oh, he's not going to last long against two Sardaukar. So, oh, oh. <laughs> he killed them oh, both. Is, is he getting in that order? Oh, he is getting in he's that getting, ornithopter. Wow. He he's getting it. away. He's he really stole getting away. an ornithopter. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Truly, Jabati puts respect on Duncan Idaho's name. And in fact, as he's having these mixed feelings about the Atreides and this attack that he's roped up in, he looks out at Duncan's ornithopter as it flies away, as this lone Atreides soldier makes his escape. And he grabs his bazooka or whatever. I don't know anything about guns. And he intentionally fires the rocket a little off the mark. He yeah. biffs the shot on purpose to allow this Atreides soldier to make his escape, to allow Duncan Idaho to go out into the desert. And of course, that leads to a cascading series of events that we all know from the first book. He right. links up with Paul. They go to the ecological testing station, et cetera, et cetera. And all of that is thanks to Jopati biffing the shot on purpose. If Jopati had shot down Duncan Idaho here, yeah. events would have gone very differently. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about this. I mean, mm. I do like, as I mentioned, I like 
seeing the perspective of those raid ships that we've seen now in Villeneuve's movie coming down. Yeah. Like I kind of like humanizing these soldiers and I like the idea of, yeah. you know, there, there's lots of elements here that I appreciate and seeing Duncan from a distance from a different vantage point and knowing that Duncan's in that ornithopter and someone has him in his sights, you know, locked on ready to fire a rocket or a homing missile or whatever the fuck. Yeah. All of that's cool. But I also legitimately, I mean, I'll talk more about it in a second, but I kind of dislike the implication that Duncan could be shot down like that. Like Duncan <laughs> Idaho is one of the, the universe's best ornithopter pilots. And you're telling me that with a rocket locked on, he couldn't pull off some badass stunt. No, I he'd be fine. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the sort of implication here is like, calm down, Brian. Not <laughs> a random Sardaukar dude, even a, a Bashar could not shoot down Duncan motherfucking Idaho. He would mm-hmm. seduce that rocket out of the sky. Seduction. Seduction is his defensive mechanism. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, again, we'll talk about it a little later in our thoughts, but it's this like obsession and temptation that Brian and Kevin have of like always drawing some sort of bold line between their characters and the iconic stories that we know. Right. There has to be some very direct connection. Yeah. Rammed in there somehow, whether it makes sense or not. Like, did Duncan Idaho get an ornithopter and get away because he is exactly the sort of unconventional, bold, aggressive, and incredible fighter to surprise the Harkonnens who are like, no one's going to try to steal a fucking order. Oh my God, it's Duncan Idaho. You know, is that because of who Duncan Idaho is? Or is it because of this new character and his desire to like do right by Duke? You know, it's like, you're right. It's They have said, oh, some small part of Duncan's success in doing what he's done is thanks to our character, Japati. Japati. So Duncan surviving and the survival of House Atreides is less now about the Atreides and more about this Sardaukar guy. Yeah. It's yeah, it's just it's not subtle. You know, subtlety is not exactly one of their strengths. And that is very obvious in the stories we covered today. But just to do our due diligence here, the final page of this comic book is Japati heading toward the Harkonnen ship once he's been told that the Duke Leto has been captured to ensure that the Duke dies a clean and painless death, which in his mind honors both his orders from Shaddam, honors his duty as a Sardaukar, but is also a way to silently and secretly thank Duke Leto and honor the Atreides that he has now come to respect. And the final words of this comic are, quote, for the Sardaukar, the honor is in the blood, not in the uniform, end quote. Sure. <laughs> sure. I feel like that directly contradicts multiple lines in this comic where they're like, the Sardaukar are, are the my uniform. brothers now. The uniform is my... the Sardaukar. Right. And we are, it's all in the uniform. Th- this is now my family. And... This is now yeah. my family. Regardless of our blood, Yeah, uh, this is our family. I'm like- It feels like- Brian and Kevin wrote this line being like, hell, high five, motherfucker. He puts on a his sunglasses. nuanced thought. <laughs> like, we just QED this bitch. Yeah. And uh, I don't know that this line really means anything. So Yeah, it doesn't really fit <laughs> with any of what you've said so far. <laughs> kind of a chat GPT mic drop. You're like, Truly. okay, I see that you wrote a good mic drop sentence, but it doesn't really fit with the rest right. of the stuff. Well, you, you know, you didn't, none of the Legos are there to get me to that point. Right. None of the building blocks. 
But we're, since we're already basically talking about it, let's share our thoughts now about Blood of the Sardaukar. I'm curious, Leo, what you thought after reading this comic and uh, after our discussion now. Yeah, um, I would say there were elements of this comic that I liked. I generally like when people take you know, the kind of faceless background characters and give them some depth. I mean, that's exactly yeah. why I love this podcast, because it's fun to take characters like shout out mapes or characters like hurrah right and to say right. let's give them their time in the spotlight and let's appreciate the nuances of their character that might not be totally obvious the first time you read the book yeah that being said i think every good part of this story would be better if it wasn't shackled to like familiar events and familiar characters yep i like the idea of making sardaukar more three-dimensional that can definitely add some interesting depth to familiar scenes you know but Tying this story so closely to Shaddam and Elrude and Leto and his mm, father, mm, Paulus mm, and mm. blah, blah, blah. It all complicates it because at every single panel, I'm like, wait, does this make sense? Like the first part where he says, oh, it was Atreides. It was uh, Sardaukar in Atreides. I was distracted from the story because I was going, that doesn't sound right. This doesn't fit House Atreides. Why the fuck would that be the case? And then later we're told, oh, Paulus was like pressured into it. But you've already lost me. Yeah. Because like three pages ago, I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. This isn't the Paulus Atreides that I know, or this isn't the Minotaurus Atreides that I know. I have so many reasons to question what I'm being told. Yes. Because I know these characters. Great point. And broadly, these stories are shallow. There's there's very little, like, I don't care about Japati. I kind of like the begrudging respect due to someone that you admire, but that's just a trait. That's like one piece of someone's one. personality. <laughs> yeah. And the whole rest of it's gone and missing. I don't know why I'm supposed to care about any of this right. other than the implication that Japati is the sole reason Duncan was able to reunite with Paul and Jessica and Japati is the reason that Dune happened. It's like Yeah. Why are we here? Yeah. Why are we uh, even reading this story? <laughs> and I also posit, finally, as a broad complaint about this narrative, it makes the Dune universe more stupid. <laughs> yeah. If Duke Leto Atreides, and this is, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years before the events of Dune, if Duke Leto Atreides, young Duke Leto Atreides, went to the Landsrat and said, hey, so Elrud dressed up a bunch of Sardaukar soldiers as Atreides soldiers, and then they participated in a sort of coerced raid against House, whatever, that, Voorhees, Voorhees, something uh, like that? Planet, planet, Voorhees, planet Voorhees, House yeah. Kelowna. Isn't that fucked up? And Landsrat goes, wow, that is fucked up. Good thing Shaddam right. doesn't do And that I brought shit. receipts. And I brought receipts. I can prove it happened, blah, blah, blah. If he did that, I would suspect that at least a few houses would be very weirdly suspicious about reports of random Harkonnen soldiers killing some of the best <laughs> trained soldiers in the galaxy. <laughs> like if it's kind of an open secret that Atreides soldiers are some of the best in the galaxy and that's why Shaddam might have kind of a chip on his shoulder. Yeah. Wouldn't, I don't know, a few dozen people be like, isn't this the fucking thing that he did before? This seems like exactly what he did before. Mm. 
And all of that is on top of the fact that Shaddam makes it clear and Fenring and, and uh, Baron Harkonnen, they all make clear no one can know that the Sardaukar are being used to tip the scales between like interhouse battles. Because right. if they did, then the Lancerad would gather together and overthrow House Carino. Right. So they cannot, cannot, all caps, top secret, top secret, don't, don't tell anyone, shut up. <laughs> you know, that is the vibe. And the idea that he's done this a bunch of fucking times, or House Carino's done this a bunch of times, is stupid. It's so stupid. It makes the whole thing so much dumber. And it's not just, oh, wow, what a cool idea. No one would see that coming. Now it's, why didn't everyone see this coming? Right. If this right. has been talked about with receipts. So, yep, just makes it dumber. Broadly, this lacks creativity wholly, and then also makes the Dune universe worse and more stupid. Yep. So regardless, it's like, not only did I not super enjoy the story, I enjoyed some little elements. Uh, like I would, if I were to rate this, I would give it a three out of 10. And I would give this a three out of 10. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> You're like, wow. It's the, your favorite <laughs> Brian Herbert story so far. <laughs> I liked Duncan getting away. I liked Leto surprising Japati with his honorability. Like there, there are those little moments that I, honorableness, honorability, whatever. I liked those elements otherwise i didn't really feel anything it felt like homework yeah the art was bad it was surprisingly bad so the one thing we've always said about these comic books is that the art is the only redeeming quality but this one felt like an outlier yeah there was like a lot of really horrible panels in this <laughs> yeah i'm really wondering because adam gorham is the guy right who yeah. illustrated it yeah yeah, like I'm looking at his Twitter account right now and it's like he's a great artist. So again, yeah. I, I have to wonder, like, did they just pay him nothing or did they right. just like give him two days to make a whole fucking comic? And then he sent his like first draft and they're like, done, shut it. <laughs> it's already printing. There's a couple. You send me a screenshot of two panels. That oh, looks my so God. Fucking stupid. So fucking stupid. And again, I can't even say like, oh, yeah, it's Adam Gorham being not great. He's clearly fucking awesome. He's clearly a great artist. So, right. You have to imagine there's not much production or budget given to these comics. No, I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem that way. So anyway, yeah. that's my, it looked bad. It made the whole universe worse and more stupid. And I regret the time yeah. I took to read it, but I do like <laughs> Duncan Idaho. <laughs> right. So three out of Dunkey. 10. Dunkey. Uh, my love of Dune runs on Duncan. Um, what about you? What are your thoughts? I, I gave it out of three out of 10. Are you yeah. going to beat that number? You're going to give me a price is right. Can I get a four out of 10 or are we going no. under two out of 10? It's going to be under. Oh yeah. I, I agree with everything you've said. So I'll try not to repeat, but for me, this was kind of like a pointless comic slash story set within the Dune universe. Yeah. I like the idea of perhaps humanizing the Sardaukar and showing us a different side of a battle. I'm always game for that. But I feel like we got nothing here. <laughs> yeah. Nothing about the Sardaukar in this comic book informs us more than what the original six books already do. I already know Seleucus Secundus is fucking horrible. I already know that the Sardaukar take prisoners and turn them through brutal training into fanatical brainwashed soldiers. Yeah. What did this comic tell me about anything about Sardaukar culture that I didn't already know through just reading the six original dune books 
and in addition to that, I, even that I could put aside, like, sure, whatever, you're just recycling the lore, but maybe you've made something interesting out of it. But Jopati is hardly a sympathetic or interesting character. He's just like your generic, gruff hero who goes on the same exact journey that every protagonist in the world has ever gone on. Yeah. Tragic event motivates a life change, blah, 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 blah. You know, he sort of is. It's like Batman when, when he gets like taken up by that shadow organization from yeah. the Batman begins. Yeah. But he doesn't break away from the shadow. He's just like, it's right. a less interesting version of the story. Absolutely. And again, like Japati is so one note. Like we we get no sense of any depth for him, no sense of his relationship with his family or brothers, right? The inciting event of his life that is supposed to be so horrific for him, the loss of his whole family, is just falls so flat because we don't know anything about his family or how he thinks of them outside of, oh no, how tragic, right? He's right. just like telling us it was tragic. There's no insight into his emotional growth over that time. Like what does losing your family do to a child? What does guerrilla warfare with your dad in the jungle and then watching your dad get beheaded do? We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. What, like prison camp in on Seleucus Secundus, watching your brothers die as you successfully graduate into the ranks of the Sardic R. What does the brainwashing? Like none of that. No emotional growth, no journey for this character at all outside of just the very broad beats of A happened and then B happened and then C happened. Yeah, there's no nuance here. And I think my sort of big takeaway, my big point is these awful Brian and Kevin comic adaptations have just nothing beyond surface level plot. Every page, every panel you flip through is just the next thing that happens so that it sets up the next two things that can happen. Yeah. And even the twists are telegraphed like a mile away. The entire time I was reading this, I was like, yeah, man, of course the fucking Atreides are actually hidden Sardaukar. Yeah. Like you you basically already telegraphed this to me before revealing it. And maybe the only surprising moment in this whole comic is when he biffs the shot against Duncan Idaho. But even yeah. that, you're just like sort of setting up the whole comic for that one moment. Yeah. I can't believe he didn't shoot down and kill Duncan Idaho. Right. We already know the events that happen here. So yeah, man, he's not going to shoot it's down a Duncan prequel. Idaho. <laughs> it's not a twist. Dude. So a even like the big emotional moment of the rocket launch against Duncan Idaho is just kind of like, yeah, okay. So that's my biggest beef with these comic books. And again, I'm open to the possibility that the short stories have more time yeah. to tell a more nuanced story and explore some of the inner emotional turmoil that these characters are feeling, which is a little harder to translate on a comic book page. Right. But again, we're talking about the comic books here. And as far as they're concerned, there's no nuance. There's no character development. There's no exploration of any of these ideas that are very loosely sort of pointed at from 10 miles away. Trauma, grief, loss, military mind washing by the Sardaukar, political corruption. Yeah. Like what the fuck was El Rude up to? <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. None of that is explored. What an interesting story we weren't told. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, so for me, this is honestly like a one out of 10 book because even the art is like barely redeeming. There are maybe one or two cool panels of the attack on Arakeen, but even the art is like extremely inconsistent. It'll go from like one cool panel to like 10 horrible panels. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, I don't know. Nothing really redeems this one for me. And I honestly feel like you brought up chat GPT earlier. Yeah. I feel like fucking ChatGPT could have written a better short story yes. than this. <laughs> One out of 10 for me. 
Remember that that when I had a ChatGPT write the character description of me in the Dune universe? That, that's right. That's right. That was such a better paragraph than anything we got <laughs> in this. Yeah, truly. So yeah, blood blood of the Sardaukar sucked. Was is my <laughs> summary? <laughs> yeah. Again, I think we agree that the attempt to like add depth to familiar things is good. It just sucks that he keeps failing. <laughs> he keeps failing at it, yeah. All right, well, on that note, we have another comic to get through. <laughs> yeah. But let's take a breather. Let's try to cool down from this one. Yes. But don't go anywhere, dear listener, because after a short break, we will be diving into yet another one-off single-issue Dune short story. So we'll see oh, you in a minute. It's the whisper of Kaladinsky. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Hope you're ready to dive into some Caladan Oceans. Oh, yeah. We have a whisper of Caladan Seas. Mm-hmm. Now, some background about the comic. Before we talk about the comic, A Whisper of Caladan Seas is a comic written by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson. Ever heard of them? Mm-hmm. And illustrated by uh, Jacob Rebelka, which I think he's Polish. So I think it's probably Jakub. I see. Probably. Yeah. And like the previous comic, it is also published by Boom Studios and came out in December of 2021. Now, the original short story of the same name was published way back, way, way back in June of 2001. Holy shit. <laughs> 22 years ago, this oh short God. story was published. As part of Kevin J. Anderson's short story collection, Dogged Persistence, which does sound like his literary career, doesn't it? Yeah, indeed. He's like, no one's buying the books. Guess I'll keep writing them. <laughs> and later it was re-released in The Road to Dune, which we talked about in an episode a while back. And The Road to Dune was published in 2005. That's right. So let's talk about this story. Yeah. The comic opens by establishing uh, something of a pattern here. Yeah. A Whisper of Caledon Seas opens on the night of the Harkonnen attack on House Atreides and Arakeen in oh 10,191 AG. <laughs> Ever heard of it? House Harkonnen <laughs> attacks House Atreides? <laughs> That's right, folks. First time hearing of Breaking it. Breaking news. <laughs> Breaking news in Bikini Bottom. <laughs> <laughs> this time during the attack, we join Sergeant Hovit of the mm -hmm. Atreides Guard. So we're on the other side of the conflict. And... Sergeant Hovit is reflecting on basically this series of events that have led him and his squad of soldiers to be trapped in the caves of the shield wall, as you'll recall from the book. Right. And of course, as we know from Dune, House Harkonnen used ancient artillery weapons to cause these cave-ins to happen, and this trapped many of the Atreides soldiers within the cave systems within the shield wall. Right. We're also told during these opening couple of pages of the comic, that Hovit is trained as a master jungler? Jongleur. Jongleur. French word. And it actually probably is the origin of the word juggler. But oh, yeah. interesting. Jongleur. Jongleur. That's <laughs> a little easier for me to say. Yeah. Either way, French people, please write and correct me. <laughs> Hovit is trained as a master jongleur. And Junglor is a historical word that actually means minstrel or storyteller or entertainer. Yeah. Which everyone should keep in mind because that will come back later. 
Yeah. We're kind of told this early on. I, I, as a master jongleur, it's like, okay, what, what huh? the fuck does that mean? And then he doesn't <laughs> talk about it for a while. Yeah. It'll it's come fine. back. Now, among Hovit's men trapped with him in these caves is his nephew, Elto Vit, who mm-hmm. is gravely wounded. They've kind of performed some first aid. They've stabilized his condition, but he needs more medical attention. He is likely going to die. Yep. And the men, broadly, are lacking food and water and the more serious medical supplies that they need, as well as just broadly, they're lacking hope. They do not think that they're going to survive this dire situation. Right. Now, Elto, in pain and struggling, begs his uncle, begs Hovit, to tell him a story. Quote, as a jongleur, you could make me dot, 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 forget. And what does Whoa. it mean? What does it mean? Fucking good luck figuring it out. <laughs> we'll be told toward the end. <laughs> now, Hovit relents and asks, mm-hmm. quote, do you hear a whisper of Caladan Seas? And folks, he said the title of this comic. Roll Roll credits. credits. We're We're done. done. We're done here. Applause. Curtain comes down. What a great story so far. (laughs) But with his hand over the young man's eyes, over his nephew's eyes, we get a number of panels depicting what he's describing, right? Sparkling waves, fishermen with too many fish to, to haul into their boats, rain, castle Caladan towering over the oceans. Yeah. And Elto, as well as we as the readers, are transported. He's He is experiencing all this stuff very vividly. And that continues until another round of artillery explosions knocks out the power so that the lights go off and Hovid is distracted. And, you know, his nephew is like, oh, that was really nice. Thank you. Uh, I could forget for a moment. That was sweet. Right. Now. The men in the cave continue to sort of talk, and we realize that they are on edge. They are at each other's throats. They are snapping at each other. Well, you fucked up. No, you (laughs) fucked up. Yep. Uh, You with the bat, shut the fuck up. What are you, you you fucking Batman? You, You what are you, Batman, huh? Uh, You you born in the dark? (laughs) They're all from Brooklyn. Hey, you're so fucking guys. Come on. This guy's got a fucking bat over here. This guy's over here eating an everything bagel with no cream cheese. <laughs> That's why we're in this goddamn mess. <laughs> and you never call your mother. Call your goddamn mother. She raised you. She gave everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually just seven Brooklyn construction workers <laughs> trapped. <laughs> trapped in this game. <laughs> I love it. Obviously... These Brooklyn construction workers are scared, right? <laughs> yeah. They're scared. They're snapping at each other. It's a long way they from Brooklyn. They all realize <laughs> that, they're, that they're about to die in this cave. And we actually learn that what's more horrific is they're going to die mere feet from another tunnel yeah. that literally has all the supplies they could need, all the food and medicine they could want that would help them survive is just a couple of feet away through some solid impenetrable stone whoops yeah i don't fucking buy it for a second (laughs) they're like caved in sure yeah how no no they aren't no No, they aren't we didn't get any because the the kind of classical thing would be someone starts to move a rock and then it threatens a a bigger cave in that would like crush them all we didn't get that so it's just like well dang 
Right. <laughs> We're a few feet from food and it's just Right. It's just the silliest oh well. like little anecdote. Like anyway, we could have survived if we were over in that cave, but <laughs> yeah. I guess we're fucked. Anyway. Yeah, we'll also see later they ran into this cave to escape run into the other cave. Run into the other cave. It's a few feet away. <laughs> yeah. We're, yeah. Anyway. We're we're told Hovit was in charge of these caves. He knows where the fucking supplies are. Anyway. Yeah. The gunner, <laughs> Deegan. Yeah. Sorry, the construction worker Deegan starts to panic, right? At this moment, he he has a panic attack, he's flipping out, and they have to literally sedate him. They pump him full of the last of the sedatives they have left. Yeah. And in addition to that, Ho decides to tell another story to calm down Deegan and to try and keep the morale of the group up. Right. If you were thinking, hey, this has been pretty good, yeah. but not nearly enough flashbacks. I was thinking that. Yeah, I was too. Brian Herbert, here's your please, dear listener. Yes. He hears the yearning heartstrings of, I haven't had a flashback in four panels. <laughs> and he delivers. Hell yeah. We get a flashback to the night of the attack on Arkane, right as Gurney started noticing Sardaukar-like tactics among the Harkonnen forces. Mm. Yeah. He gives Hovit and his men a command. Guard the supply caches in the shield wall tunnels and lay down suppressing fire. Okay. Makes sense, right? Yeah. We've got a bunch of supplies that we've stashed outside of Arakeen in case anything goes wrong. Things are going wrong. You should go to those supply caches. Make sure they're safe. Great plan. Great. It's working well so far. Hovit and his men get to the caves and Eltovit, in a shocking display of marksmanship, actually <laughs> takes out one of the artillery cannons. Yeah. One of the big old ancient artillery cannons. He shoots it with a laser gun or some sort of projectile thing. And uh, boom. Right. Takes it out. And based on that one panel, looks like he also kills like 17 men. So good right. job, young nephew Elto. Racking up those kills. Racking up those kills. But with that action, he draws the attention of the remaining artillery guns. And as they turn and aim... Hovit yells to his men, quickly, get inside, take cover. And they go into the caves to avoid being killed. And this is also the point. We've kind of joked about it already. But, like, you're there to guard the supply caches. Right. And you're now taking cover in a cave. Right. Wouldn't you take cover in a cave with the supply caches? Yes. <laughs> Everything is in place for you to be like, Okay, here's the cave with the supplies, and now we're going to lay down suppressing fire from this cave. Yeah. And yet somehow they end up in a different cave. <laughs> right. And the panels are a little like sort of hard to decipher here. Yeah. Because it's a lot of action and explosions and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think there's also a panel that shows like a ornithopter strafing run that they run from, which is presumably what injures Elto, the nephew. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it was like a, oh no, the ornithopters are literally shooting at us and we're taking casualties. Run. Like we have to move to a different cave. Yeah, that's possible. They, I will say, we'll talk a lot about the art, I think. the um, These panels, I think, are intentionally sort of, it's chaotic. It's explosions. It's very totally. stylized. And it makes it a little hard to know exactly what's happening, yeah. but like that's also kind of the chaos of war. So, all right. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, we're done with the flashback. Back to the present, folks. We learn through, again, more dialogue between these construction workers that they've been trapped in this cave for a couple of days now, and they are desperate. 
They're running out of food, water, and as we learn later, even air. Yeah. One of the soldiers in particular named Skovich has been keeping his bats alive to potentially utilize in some sort of rescue. Right. And in a desperate move, he decides to release the bats and just let them loose, hoping that they will find some sort of crack or crevice or pathway in the dark that will let them escape and get a message out, an SOS out to someone who may be able to help. Yeah. There's a low chance of success here. I think they all realize that here in the cave, but better to do something than nothing. Right. So Operation Bat is underway. The shelling that they've been hearing nonstop for these past couple of days outside does finally come to an end. And rather than feeling relief at this noise, this barrage ending, this is another marker for them that the tragedy is coming to a close. Because if the shelling has stopped, that means the rest of their allies, the other Atreides that were trapped among the shield wall, right. have been wiped out. There's no one else left to shoot at, and they are potentially the last people left trapped within the caves here. And every soldier here kind of has this moment of wishful thinking where they all have their own variety of, I wish we were back home on Kaladin. I hate, fucking hate Arrakis. Why did the Duke come here? He shouldn't have known it was a trap, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they're all going through sort of the the motions of this traumatic moment. Yeah. And as they are kind of reminiscing, oh, man, remember rain? Isn't that crazy? Like Ray, it used to be Ray. rain on Kaladin. Hovit acknowledges the, me- the power of memories. He kind of goes, yeah, memories yeah. are very, very powerful. There's a lot of power in memories. And he takes us on a, another kind of flashback, kind of expository thing where he explains what a jongleur is and what we've been talking about this whole time Mm -hmm. and basically there was a house you'll never guess what it was fucking called oh house tell jongleur (laughs) because yeah you just named the thing the thing yeah you okay yeah well (laughs) no gold star because it's fucking low-hanging fruit A long time ago, there was this house, House Xiongliu, uh-huh. and Sergeant Vit is a direct descendant of that bloodline thing. Right. And they had developed an ancient school of storytelling. We're told it's enhanced storytelling. Okay. So like, I don't know, HBO script writers. VR. V- <laughs> v- yeah <laughs> it's like four four d uh movie experiences yeah, where they spritz you with the water <laughs> yeah the water scenes they're like and then it was raining and then they <laughs> take a thing of water and, <laughs> and they spit on the people and they're like whoa this is enhanced <laughs> what incredible enhanced storytelling well, i'm really on pandora flying on this dragon thing as a big blue person they were in an orange orchard, and then they spritz orange on everyone, and everyone's like, "Oh God, it's in my <laughs> oh, eyes!" My eyes. Ah, oh, fuck, that stings. <laughs> but so it's enhanced. Realistic. It's so enhanced. <laughs> that happens to me in orange orchards all the time. <laughs> Why is there so much spritzing in this movie? God, it's a lot of liquid. <laughs> Mostly liquid. Just wait till the sex scene. Just wait till. Yeah. Uh, yes. Now, their enhanced storytelling is not spraying bodily fluids on the listeners right. of your story your captive audience the doors are locked <laughs> it's 
actually something more akin to like the Benny Gesserit voice or like something, 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 the sorceresses who could kill with their minds. Yes. Because apparently this storytelling was too powerful. <gasps> House Jonglier was disgraced and feared because their storytelling was too incredible, was too oh. good. Oh my God. Quote, some jongleurs even used the powers of imagination to cause nightmares, dot, 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 to kill. Whoa! Whoa! End quote. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fucking sure? Cool. And the other noble families were like, hey, fucking cut it out, and dissolved the house. They said, hey, you stop it forever. Uh, it's here, by the way, that I would like to point out. I think legend says a jongleur is the one who wrote the last season of Game of Thrones. So hey! for that, for what that's worth. Hello. That's right. You know, if you felt me near death. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> now, apparently today, which is to say in like around 10,191 AG, very few jongleurs remain, which is why we haven't fucking heard of them. Who command those ancient powers who still have that ancient bloodline and that power? Yeah. Yeah. And Hovit likens it in his little expository thing. He likens it to the Bene Gesserit. Quote, like a Bene Gesserit witch can use voice, like the ancient sorceresses could kill with their minds. End quote. Okay. So Jean-Glure and the people who can use that power are like those two things. Yeah. Which I'll talk about sure. later. Right. Well, well put, let's put a pin in that thought. There's yeah. a lot of thoughts there. So now that we're done with that exposition, returning back to the present, we're still in this damn cave and these Brooklyn construction workers <laughs> are losing their goddamn minds. Yeah. I missed four Mets games in this fucking cave. <laughs> what good was this season pass? <laughs> I got front row seats behind the fucking thing where the people sit. I don't know what it's called because I don't watch sports. <laughs> the bunker? <laughs> back in the cave, Elto begs his uncle for more stories and hovit says no jongleurs shouldn't use their powers <laughs> if you'll recall they're too dangerous he could kill you folks he could kill you he could spritz you in the face <laughs> spit orange juice in <laughs> now the bats at this very moment return which is an ill omen because that means the bats, too, couldn't figure out a way to leave the goddamn cave. We're all stuck in here with these two bats now, too. Great. Great. The air's running out. There's no more food. There's no more water. This is really it. You know, we're at the end of the rope. Yeah. Everyone here knows they're about to die in this cave. This is it. And so Elto continues to beg, quote, take me back to Kaladin, uncle. Make me think I'm there like only you can do. End quote. And the wave crashes on the shore. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, now that all hope is lost because of these bats, Hobbit is like, okay, fine, whatever, y'all. It's time for the most banger of all stories. Everyone get ready. He pulls yeah. up his sleeve and he's got this like fucking Voldemort's follower, like a uh, <laughs> tattoo, like the Death Eater tattoo, yeah. like right on his wrist. <laughs> and you know i you know in my mind he touches it yeah. with his wand and it moves a little bit yeah <laughs> but 
this activates story mode, folks. And before he gets into the story, as with all good stories, he starts with a disclaimer. He's like, wait a second, before we get into this, there is danger in listening to a jongleur story. Yep. Okay. You have yeah. to remember it's just a story. Don't believe it too much. <laughs> no matter how much orange juice ends up in your eyes, you are not no in matter. an orange orchard. <laughs> you are not. Just remember. It might. <laughs> but yeah. of course, one of the as one of the men calls out, who the fuck cares, man? We're all going to die anyway. We don't yeah. care about the danger in your story. Let's go. Yeah. And so the story begins. It does. And it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it is. This is, yeah. He tells of having a wing boat back on Caladan and mm. of these week-long fishing trips he took. He talks about killing time playing chess. Yeah, you can imagine it now. The chess pieces hitting your face as they throw chess pieces at you. It's enhanced storytelling. Abundant hauls of fish. Heavy storm. <laughs> heavy storms. <laughs> early dawn mist <laughs> each beat of this story is rich with sensory language it's really yeah. quite beautiful it's poetic yeah. we tried to recreate that in audio form for you just hopefully now. that worked for you <laughs> hopefully you were transported like those dying brooklyn construction, construction workers, workers. <laughs> uh and accompanied by beautiful drawings the art shift the color shift is unbelievable it is yeah and each man we get a panel of each soldier in turn, content and smiling, their eyes closed, saying, quote, I remember, end quote. Mm. Clearly on this journey that he's kind of weaving. Yeah. And soon the men are actually contributing their own memories. Oh, I remember this time that we were right. picking sweet melons. And I remember when I was, girl, girl, you know, girl, girl. <laughs> I was uh, in the, the shallow tide pools, getting those little fishies and those little ooh, things. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> cuckoo, cuckoo. Yeah! <laughs> you know fish sounds <laughs> and uh hovit wrapping up the story and, and we get this panel where they're all kind of like laying down he guides them to swim through the waters to feel the currents on their bodies and to sink below the waves and yeah. he's describing the ocean kind of protecting them and taking them within its arms to keep them safe that's right and the lights out you know, everything is dark. Everyone is still. And yep. that's our final panel with the men. With the Brooklyn construction workers. <laughs> those Brooklyn construction workers. Yeah. The comic itself wraps up when, in a tonal shift, after the attack on House Atreides, we join the Fremen, who are looting the supply caches that they know the Atreides have left in the shield wall. Right. Of course, they're not going to leave valuable resources untouched. And they discover the chamber where Hovit and his men had been trapped in. Yeah. And they find nothing but dead bodies. Turns out you could just move some rocks. Yes. Fucking they curious. Truly that. looked like in that panel, they moved two rocks yeah. and found their way in. Yeah. But the Fremen are disturbed by this discovery, I will say, because yes. Yes. the dead men in this cave-in uh -huh. are soaked with salt water. What? And their lungs are filled. What? With as water? As if they drowned. What does drowning mean to a Fremen? <laughs> Literally, they don't know. Yeah. They're truly spooked by this. It is either an ill omen or a, uh, I mean, it fucking feels like an ill omen. 
probably an ill omen. <laughs> probably an ill, yeah, probably super ill. And, and they're clearly like, yeah, let's leave this cave in where it is. Close, put those two rocks back, and let's pretend <laughs> we never opened this chamber. Yeah, uh, and they head back to the desert where shit actually makes sense. And that's where the comic wraps up. And that's where it wraps up. So, yes, I am. I am very curious. I haven't read your notes on this. I'm yeah. not even going to look at the notes. Oh, okay. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna listen. Here we go. Abu, tell me, what do you think of a whisper of Caledon Seas? Oh boy. Okay, so uh, I will start off with a bit of a gentler note. I liked this more than Blood of the Sardaukar. Yeah. But once again, the bar was one out of ten. So very low bar. One point five out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it more, and I think. I actually kind of dug the sort of pseudo fairy tale aspect of the story. Yeah. The bodies being soaked in water at the end, the storytelling yeah. overcoming them. Yeah. It was kind of fun. And the panels certainly did an amazing job adding some beautiful imagery to the stories that Hovit was telling. Alas, I cannot rank this comic anything near even decent because it relies on one of my biggest pet peeves in all of art and in all of storytelling hmm. when art gets too meta about itself. <laughs> yeah. Like this whole fucking comic Hobbit this whole time is constantly saying shit like stories are powerful, man. <laughs> yeah. Really? You're going to pull that shit on me while you're trying to tell me a story. Yeah. Uh-huh. It just immediately turns me off. Hmm. It's like when authors will create a protagonist who is a struggling author in their mm, book yeah. or when movies are about making movies right there's definitely such a thing in my opinion there's definitely such a thing as being too self-referential and it very often crosses into the arena of cringy sure and most stories will give me just the total ick when it gets to that level of self-referential mm. i recently watched the fablements on a flight Oh yeah, which is Steven Spielberg's like semi-autobiographical movie about his childhood and yeah. how he loves movies and that's what came to mind when you talked about it. movies about movies. Yeah, right. And I will say that movie I enjoyed because it it was so not about making movies. It was a lot about a child using movies as a coping mechanism for the trauma in his life. Right, which is a different story. Right, right and right. it's not like this like masturbating yourself off about your own movie movies or whatever right so the fablemans i'll give a pass like yes deeply self-referential but it honestly felt like steven spielberg kind of working through some of his childhood trauma in like <laughs> yeah. a really beautiful film it's an expensive therapy session very expensive therapy session but very beautiful at the end of the day this certainly lacks 110 percent of the nuance that spielberg had in his movie yeah and truly like when stories get so self-referential in that way, it reminds me of going to an AMC movie theater and Nicole Kidman <laughs> showing up on the goddamn screen to tell you about to tell you about how magical movie theaters are when you're sitting in one, yeah, and reminding you that heartbreak feels good in a place like this. <laughs> and I'm just trying to focus on my goddamn notches and wait for the movie to actually start. Hell yeah! You know, others may feel differently. But in my opinion, it's just like such a sad and pathetic sales pitch of your work right. to sort of beg in your work to be like, please like my art because isn't art important and magical, right? Remember, like, please like this because it's all super important. Stories are powerful. Yeah. 
So my story is powerful. You know, it's like, it's like really sad and pathetic and like having to stoop to that level of like begging the (laughs) consumer to like the thing you're creating means you're, you made something bad and you're so self-conscious about it that you're like now begging for people to like it. Not to mention Hovitt's father wrote a very successful series of very powerful stories. Very powerful. Uh, dare I say iconic stories. Iconic stories. And then Hovitt spent his whole life in the shadow of his father's Truly. stories. Truly. It's it's super original. It's Yeah. I don't know how Brian comes up with it. It's just amazing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the The imposter syndrome is just all over, you know, yeah. in every yeah, yeah, story. Yeah. Totally. So there, there's my little rant, um, a whisper of Caledon Seas. I like some of the fairy tale elements. I think it was a fun twist on what we know in the Dune universe, whether or not it fits within the lore. I'm kind of like brushing aside at this point with these comics, but at the end of the day, yeah, it was kind of sad and pathetic to like beg me to like your story and try to convince me that stories are powerful. I already know they are. That's why I read them. <laughs> you just need to shut up and let your work speak for itself. Yeah. That's my take. Totally. What about you? What did you think about this comic? It's so funny because I, I think about Hovid as a storyteller and I don't think of Hovid as a character written by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson and thinking about him as a character written by them pisses me off. <laughs> him as a character doesn't piss me off, but like mm-hmm. everything you're talking about. Oh yeah. Wait, yeah. I didn't even notice. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what I'll say is I really, I liked the comic, but it's still problematic. And yeah, I'll start off by saying that, as I've said a couple of times, the art is fucking awesome. Like the art is in this one. Yeah. Unbelievably good. There are it's so stylized at times. The characters even look kind of chunky, but it's such a style that I don't really I'm not bothered by it. Right. Like it doesn't look like the artist tried to do something and failed. It looks like the artist made some strong design choices Mm -hmm. that you can either like or dislike. Totally. And I'm on that team whatever that team is that's the team that's my team (laughs) i loved it too and also like during the battle some of the like artillery cannons firing and stuff they are nearly abstract paintings of just fire and explosions almost expressionist paintings it's Mm -hmm. unbelievable (laughs) it's so good yeah Jakub rebelka did a fucking spectacular job i ended up looking up Jakub, and he has like an art station uh page and is he's incredible yeah he works as a freelance artist too so i was like maybe a stretch goal is us hiring him at some point to do something Mm. that could be cool he's probably outside of our price range but maybe he isn't because maybe (laughs) brian and uh kevin don't pay anything true so anyway i definitely want to top to bottom shout out Jakob rebelka for being fucking awesome yeah just being incredible great choices well executed super great also the wartime scenes were all very red and vivid and bloody and fiery and then in the cave is all very drab and browns and tans and muted yeah. colors and then caladan is like oh, blue beautiful. And beautiful and green and this really vivid it's so bright and lovely yeah it's like viscerally a relief to get to those panels and i'm like that's magical like this is. is awesome yeah so broadly it's not a bad story i don't think again mm-hmm. i like the fairy tale qualities of it as well um i like the idea of this sergeant having a skill that he uses to lighten the pain of his dying men you know right right but 
My main issue as a Dune fan, because famously we here at Gam Jabbar like Dune. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I can't speak for you, Abu, but I, I kind of like it. It's kind of fun. Yeah. 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 The whole concept of House Jonglier is fucking awful. Because <laughs> it continues to demonstrate how little Brian and Kevin understand about the Dune universe. Mm-hmm. Hovit likens their advanced storytelling to the Bene Gesserit voice. But the Bene Gesserit voice is not magic. Nope. It's not witchcraft. Never has been. Frank was perfectly clear himself in interviews saying, we all use voice all the time. Mm -hmm. When your mother wants you to clean up your room, she'll change the tone of her voice because she knows the tone that will get you to. That is the voice. Right. It is not magic. It is not telepathy. One of the things that I and I think many other people love about the Dune universe is although it is exaggerated and although it is like followed to the nth degree yep every ability we see in dune with the ex- exception of maybe prescience is pretty much a human ability yeah totally the mentat computing the bene Gesserit op- observation of a, of tiny details the prana bendu training all of it is rooted in very real human capabilities and then we're examining humanity and what is the capability of humanity without technology? What can we do? It's really fascinating. It's a really right. cool framework for a story where we don't have fucking magic and wands <laughs> and like telepathy and all this other shit. Yeah. Meanwhile, Brian and Kevin did give the Benny Gesserit the ability to turn invisible, which they never fucking use, even when it would save their life and progress their story. He gave them the ability to mind control and read minds with telepathy, even though that's not in the fucking story. And then he even made the sorceresses of Rossick able to kill the evil death commando robots with psionic mind blasts. Yeah. This is the shit that Brian and Kevin keep injecting into the Dune universe, which misses the point entirely misses the point and changes it so like while it is cool to imagine that these jongleurs can tell these sort of enhanced magical stories Mm -hmm. so powerfully that your lungs could fill with seawater from a distant planet that is really fucking cool but it's not dune it's not doesn't belong in the dune universe because it continues to miss the point It continues to weaken the thesis of Dune. It's a cool, beautiful storybook, fable kind of ending that just makes the whole universe dumb and worse. So anyway, uh, (laughs) I would actually give this comic like a 7 out of 10. Okay. I think the art and the narrative were so beautifully married. Again, those moments of really viscerally being like, wow, what relief to see the Caledonian waters and what relief to see these ships and the birds and the, you know, yeah, it felt so good. And then the wartime looked so brutal and violent. I just wish it were better written. And I also wish that it were not in the Dune universe because this idea of like a lineage of magical storytellers is really cool and just doesn't belong in Dune. Mm -hmm. I think that's a fair take. So the only thing that could have been better is, oh, I don't know, the writing and the setting. But okay. other than that, and then the other problem here, of course, is that you can't just take it out of the Dune universe because what the fuck is happening? What do you mean they're like getting trapped? You have to add panels that tell you what's happening because this story doesn't work in isolation from 
what we know about Dune. Right. So it's not even a full short story. It's a DLC content pack for yep. the Dune video game that you had to buy and read to even understand right. the short story. It's, so, it's horse armor. It's horse armor. <laughs> oh, a DLC? That's a deep cut. DLC joke. Is that, is that like Witcher DLC? No, it's iconically one of the first shittiest DLC ever released for Elder Scrolls <laughs> for Oblivion. Hell yeah. Where you had to pay some stupid amount of money to just get like three pairs of armor for your horse. Horse armor. Horse armor. Okay. We need to... Okay, listeners, all of you out there, this is a new American idiom. That's horse armor. That's just horse armor. That's man. just horse armor, man. Yeah. <laughs> and it means when something is... What does it mean? How do we... How do we... <laughs> how do we define that? That's... um, It means when something useless and additional has been tacked on to something that didn't need it. Yeah. It, it's a champagne bottle broken against the hull of a ship that'll never sail. That's horse armor. That was fucking poetic. Oh my God. Wow. Uh, Beautiful. This moment brought to you by ChatGPT writing everything that they said. <laughs> <laughs> I was inspired by master storytellers. Inspired. Watch out. My words are so powerful. They can kill. Indeed. Anyway. All righty. Yeah. Well, those are the two one-off comics that we wanted to talk about today. Indeed. To wrap up our discussion, yeah. let's broaden our scope. Let's zoom out, Leo. Yeah. We've shared our thoughts specifically on these two comic books. I'm curious, what would you want to see and what would you genuinely enjoy reading more of in Dune comics, in future Dune comics? If you could be the shepherd yeah. of the future, what would you want? So I would do the thing we've talked about over and over and over again. I would immediately put out an open call to sci-fi authors. I would probably reach out yep. to some. Ted Absolutely. Chang, the writers of the Quantum Thief writer, author. Uh-huh. Uh, pretty much any popular sci-fi authors, I would reach out to them and I'd say, hey, Dune Universe, yeah. here are some rules. Don't break those rules. Here are some like, if you have questions or you want to tell a story about something, I can give you all of the mechanics that your story needs to fit within. Yeah. But go to town. Write your own original stories, short story, Amen. 50 Amen. pages, Amen. something like that. And again, set up those peer review setting. You suggest a story. I'll tell you what parts of it don't work with established Dune lore. Right. Cool. Right. Once you get those new batch of original short stories written by popular, existing, and very successful and very skilled sci-fi authors, I would then hire artists like Jakob. Rebelka, yes. who have a strong aesthetic, not to fucking diss uh, Adam Gorham, because again, he's a phenomenal artist. Just not on this project. Not on this project for some like, reason. We're not, we're not uh, all hitting home runs on everything we do. Yeah. But even so, it's like, okay, how do I, then we make the review process longer. Then we give you more time. Then we give you more direction. Yeah. I don't know right. what the missing piece was in that puzzle, but money, whatever money. the case is, money probably <laughs> but the thing is these comics will exist forever and the comic artists want to be able to put it in their resume and their portfolio yeah. and say look at this great work that i've done we want to say look at this legacy that we're continuing with the dune and frank and all this stuff and totally. we want to protect that we take gom jabbar very seriously right if i were at the helm making those decisions i would also take seriously does this comic contribute to the dune universe or make it worse Ooh, beautifully said. And if it makes it worse back to the drawing board let's make yeah. it better 
let's Hell fix yeah. it. And it maybe that comes yeah. down to yeah. all yes. of that stuff. Yeah. So, yes. <laughs> Put the cream cheese on the bagel. Put the cream cream cheese on everything bagel. Half a pound of cream cheese. Damn. You're making me so hungry. And I'm right after this, I'm going to go bike to my bodega and get a fucking cream cheese bagel. I had a cream cheese everything bagel earlier. Mm. Mm. So all of that, because I think that like, there are so many stories to tell in the Dune universe. And you know, you could even give prompts to these authors. I wrote a couple here. I want to hear a story about a composer or a performer on Chusik, who was the first to play on an Alaka wood ballast. Alaka wood being that the source of Samuda and the source of, um, yeah, yeah. This, uh, the Alaka drug, right? right? And they made ballasts out of them, but then they were too trippy. Tell me that story. I want to hear that Hell story. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I want to hear a story about the Ampolaros. I've talked about a few times. The soldiers gradually losing their minds to this space bacteria as they approach the speed of light. So they're immortal going through, you know, escaping this alien threat that doesn't exist. Yeah. I want to hear that ghost ghost scary story i want to read a comic about fogwood sculptors learning to use fogwood from planet ecaz to sculpt emotions sculpt memories i want to read a spooky story about the first researchers to return to ecaz right and maybe they get stuck on planet and their their people are disappearing and you know feeding themselves to giant insects because they don't give a shit anymore because they accidentally burned whatever that wood was, which might've been like a lack of wood actually. Right. Play with the genre, you know? Yeah. We're not, we're not beholden to only sci-fi fantasy here. Give me some horror, some horror stories. Give me some, give me the rom-com meet cute story. Hell yes. Of Aurelius Venport and Norma sent <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Give me Holtzman's story. He's a world-class ornithopter racer. Yeah. Who gets injured and then put into a thing and then he fucking hijacks a ship right. as a yeah. brain in a in a tube. Yeah. My God. My God. Watch the fuck out of crazy rich Ixians. <laughs> crazy rich Ixians. Yeah. So listen, I want a thousand stories about Ikaz. I want to know more about this universe. I do not give a shit about Paul Atreides in the one month we didn't see him on that one. Wow, page. you're a messiah. Cool. Wow, bro. you're in a cave for this chapter. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. We don't need three more short stories about the night of the attack on Arkeen. That's right. This one follows a mouse, a muadib out in the desert. <laughs> this one follows a desert hawk seeing the battle from afar. It's like we could get a thousand fucking stories, none of which would contribute anything. Give me some real original shit. Couldn't agree more. And again, release the reins. Make a fucking buck off of not working as hard, Brian yeah. and Kevin. What the Truly. fuck? Like, God, it makes no sense. Anyway. Leaving, leaving cash on the table. Cash on the table. So that's that's what I would do. If I, were, if I were in charge, expand the rights, other authors, intensive review process to make sure that everything is cohesive within the, the story, like the rules of the Dune universe, and then artists time it costs money but isn't it worth money to make sure that the legacy of dune is upheld at a high standard of quality right rather than dumping out these fucking <laughs> yeah. trash comics truly so that's me i love it no strong feelings clearly 
Uh, <laughs> what about you? What would you do? What would you like to see more of in Dune comics? And if you were in charge, yeah, would you call the shots? I would do exactly what you would do. Actually, um, I, I would be your hype person at every pitch meeting. <laughs> every time we'd go to investors, I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, what he said." Oh my god, what a great idea, Leo! Oh shit! Oh shit! Woo, Hit him with the get. next sentence! Oh shit! He said more. Just wait till he gets to the next one, y'all. It's a banger. I'm like five minute break. You're like, never mind. That was not the <laughs> sentence I thought he was gonna say. <laughs> oh shit! I didn't look at the agenda. <laughs> so I'm I'm fully 100 game for your plan. I couldn't agree more. And what I'll add is, as a lover of comics, it's really heartbreaking to me, and as a lover of Dune. It's heartbreaking to me to see these like D-list bargain bin trash stories from Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson just being churned out within the Dune universe, or at least within the Dune comic book universe. I can't speak to the books. I haven't read them myself. Now, as you've stated, I'd love for other great comic authors and other great sci-fi storytellers to be able to tell original stories within the Dune universe. and specifically to be able to explore some heavier topics. Hmm. The original six books by Frank Herbert does not shy away from exploring the big questions and the best sci-fi out there intentionally explores the biggest and most uncomfortable questions about the human existence. That is what makes sci-fi so interesting. Right. Yeah. I probably have mentioned this before on the podcast at some point, maybe in our previous comic coverage, but one of my all-time favorite comics and one of the most beautiful and tragic stories I've read in the last few years is the Vision comic series by Tom King, by the writer Tom King. Mm. And not only is it a beautiful story, not only is the art incredible, but it tackles some wildly heavy and uncomfortable topics. Gender stereotypes, race relations, bullying, sexism, loneliness, grief, mm. and loss and w- the very nature of what it means to be human, because for those that know Marvel, Vision is not human. He's just like a part robot, part Infinity Stone. Right. And the gist of the comic is that he's trying to raise a family. It's a beautiful run. Mm. I highly recommend it to anyone looking for some very highbrow, beautiful storytelling that explores some really tragic parts of the human experience. The same cannot be said for the comics we've covered today. And the same cannot be said for any of the Dune comics that I've ever read. And what that ultimately leads me back to is this big question that clearly nobody in any goddamn conference room is asking. Who the fuck are these Dune comics for? Yes. Yeah. Because on one level, they are too niche to be for new or young Dune readers. You have to already fucking know what happens in Dune to understand either of the ones we talked about today. Right. On the other hand, They are far too dumb and simplistic for older, more mature readers that are looking for more of what they loved about Dune, perhaps, or older, experienced sci-fi fans who are looking for another great sci-fi story to capture them. These fucking comics certainly aren't it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And these comics certainly aren't selling those people on reading or checking out Dune in the first place. And then the third category is that These comics are also just useless and bad for longtime fans like you and me to get anything additional or meaningful out of in the universe we love so much and in the stories and characters we are already deeply attached to. Yeah, agreed. 
as I said with the blood of the Sardaukar, I'm not learning anything about the fucking Sardaukar that I don't already know in this short, pointless story. Right. And so these comics aren't really for longtime Dune fans either, because there's nothing really to get out of them. They're all so basic and bad and simplistic and meaningless that longtime Dune fans would be turned away. New readers who are already sci-fi fans would be turned away. And young readers who don't know anything about Dune would be like, what the fuck am I reading here? None of this makes sense. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're turning away like potentially any key demographic that they could want to buy and read these comic books. So is it a vanity project for Brian and Kevin? Is it just a, fuck, we got to make comics because the movies are out and Dune's back in the zeitgeist, so let's just churn whatever is on the table out? I don't know. You know, I don't know what conversations some boardroom execs are having in the background here, but from where I see it, they're having the wrong conversations and they're telling the wrong stories and they're not convincing anyone through these comic books to actually check out Dune. Yeah. They're leaving cash on the table with iteration after iteration of horse armor. (laughs) Of horse armor. That's the lesson for today. Horse armor. (laughs) Alrighty, well, let's wrap up today's episode. Before we let you go, dear listener, we do have a couple of reminders. We want to let you know some great ways to support the show. We're usually not so angry on these podcasts. (laughs) We love Dune, to be clear, and we explore and celebrate those stories on this show. It's true. But some of you masochists love when we tear into these bad comic books and tear into Brian's stuff, so this one's for you. Either way, here are the best ways to support us and to get in touch with us. Indeed. Now, the best way to support us, as always, is to become a patron at patreon.com slash gomjabar. You get some cool benefits, ad-free episodes, weekly blooper clips, and an invite to our exclusive Discord server. That's right. If any of that sounds good to you, or if you just like what we do and you're in a financial place to do so, Mm -hmm. consider committing to support us on patreon.com slash gomjabar makes a world of difference we appreciate it more than we can express it does and another great way to support us is to get yourself some dune swag from our merch store gomjabarshop.com we've got art we've got apparel we've got mugs a tote bag so much more these cute little socks with sandworms on them so you can walk without (laughs) rhythm y'all get it (laughs) gomjabarshop.com check it out treat yourself get yourself something nice and help the show out as well. Indeed. And finally, we love to hear from you. So whether you want to tell us to do more of these sorts of episodes or way fewer of them, let us know. <laughs> Gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com is our email address. Happy to see your comments, your concerns, your thoughts, your feedback, your cute pets, whatever yep. you want to share with us. We're always happy, right. happy to see it. And uh, even if you just have nice things to say about the podcast, it means the world to know that what we do lands with you. It means the world. So, gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. Say hi. We'll reply at some point. Eventually. Usually uh, between three and 11 months. But, uh, you know, it's because it's just the two of us. <laughs> Once we have a team, you'll get nice, dispassionate right. responses. Leo yeah. and Abu are busy, but we appreciate you writing in, that sort of thing. But That's we're not there thing. yet. Right, right. Right, right. Maybe ChatGPT can help us out on this one. Yo, true. Write a thoughtful response to this person's email, <laughs> and don't make it horse armor. <laughs> Needs to be the the whole horse. 
<laughs> not just the horse armor. That's right. I am curious. Just a final note. Hmm. How much cream cheese on your bagel? Where are you at? A lot. Yeah? A lot. Drown yeah. it in cream cheese? No, I, I've seen a TikTok trend where this guy will go in and ask for half a pound, like literally half a pound. Oh, goodness. Okay. And that's too much. It is. But if there's so much that when I bite into it, it's squishing out of the sides in the middle, that's good. That's the correct answer. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. My bagel is mostly a vessel to shovel cream <laughs> cheese into my gullet. So yeah. it should be gushing out of there. And in fact, spritz it in my face. <laughs> uh, I think also the mechanics of biting a cream cheesed bagel, you're getting a lot of bagel inevitably. Yes. And I want then with my mouth now full of mostly bagel and a bit of cream cheese, I want to then be able to like clean up the trimmings and get a better bagel to cream cheese ratio in each bite. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm pretty picky about the bagel to cream cheese ratio. Nothing triggers me more when there's not enough cream cheese on my bagel. Yeah, you've seen those videos where someone's like, oh, nothing's better than some cream cheese on my bagel. And they put just like the like lightest. Little it's like, oh, fucking oh waste of a bagel. Oh my God. Waste of a vessel for cream cheese. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Right into your listener. How much cream cheese? Yeah. How much? In a numerical number. <laughs> Five. <laughs> yeah. Quantify it for us somehow. <laughs> Six cream cheese, please. <laughs> Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. We're also on TikTok at Gamjabar Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path.